Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 60 Minutes ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year, with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What's inside Africa's impenetrable forest? We found rugged terrain, mountain gorillas, and caves full of bats, all of which contain clues for this team of virus hunters searching for the next deadly pathogen capable of starting the next pandemic. It seems like a really daunting task for you to find pathogen X before it finds us. It's definitely achievable. Take a listen, as we did, to Sona Jobarte as she plays the Chora. With its 21 strings, played by just four fingers, two on each hand, it has a sound both foreign and familiar. This is the holy grail of World Cup sticker albums, and this guy has five of them, and he ain't selling. Jeez, floor to ceiling. He lives in what is less a home than a sticker repository. Even in your daughter's room. He has half a million stickers spilling out of every drawer. Valuable sheets are everywhere, even hidden (laughs) under a tablecloth. No one is allowed to eat on the table because it's too sacred. It's very rare. These are all rare. I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Bill Whitaker. I'm Sharon Alfonsi. I'm John Wertheim. I'm Cecilia Vega. I'm Nora O'Donnell. I'm Scott Pelley. Those stories tonight on 60 Minutes. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. 
Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. In January, Uganda declared an end to the outbreak of the deadly Ebola virus that alarmed scientists in 2022. No cases were discovered outside Africa, but Ebola remains among the deadliest of pathogens capable of jumping from wild animals to humans, just as COVID-19 likely did. It's called spillover. Disease detectives warned the threat of spillover has never been higher as urban populations grow and come into contact with wild animals and their viruses. Since 2009, American scientists have discovered more than 900 new viruses. As we first reported in October, now the U.S. government is doubling down, sending virus hunters to global hotspots to find the next deadly virus before it finds us. We joined a team from the University of California, Davis, and their Ugandan partners in the rugged, impenetrable forest on the search for Pathogen X. We landed in Kahihi, a speck of a town in southwest Uganda. As we headed off to the impenetrable forest, we soon saw how it got its name. It's so thick with trees, vines, and roots that Ugandans call it the place of darkness. As our four-by-fours bumped and swerved along deeply rutted tracks, we passed tea farmers, loggers, villagers, all living on the edge of the forest where the risk of infectious disease spilling over from animals is highest. Wildlife epidemiologist Christine Johnson handicapped the stakes. How would you rate the odds of uh, another pandemic? I would say another pandemic is guaranteed. Guaranteed. It's, it's not a matter of if but when. That's why we're so committed to preparation. Let's go. Johnson leads the UC Davis team and has been hunting viruses around the globe for decades. We were headed to an abandoned mine shaft to look for bats. Johnson told us bats are prime suspects for spillover. They harbor more viruses lethal to humans than any other mammal. New bat species and new viruses are still being discovered. It seems like a really daunting task for you to find Pathogen X before it finds us. It's definitely achievable. but It, it is does, achievable. Absolutely. It's all here right now, right? It's not like we're exploring outer space. All of these viruses and, and, and all of the wildlife are right here on our planet. The bats would start flying at dusk. We waited as the UC Davis team and their Ugandan partners hung a fine mesh net across the entrance of the cave. We wore masks and goggles to protect ourselves against any early risers. 
Bernard Sebede, one of Uganda's top wildlife vets, told us this area used to be all forest. Now, villagers had planted a cornfield right up to the mouth of the bat cave, increasing the risk of spillover. As if on cue, we watched women carrying water cut through the cornfield, while school children ran home. The transfer between bats and humans, mm-hmm. it's much more likely mm-hmm. when you've got people living so close. Exactly. The population has grown. People have moved into areas they never occupied before. That shrinkage of the buffer, the habitat between people and wildlife has become so narrow. So that increases the contact. We're talking about people who are now living Close, right on the edge exactly. of the impenetrable forest. Exactly. Governments cannot stop people from moving in some of these areas because they have nowhere else to go. Bats are known to carry coronaviruses, the same virus family that spawned COVID-19 as well as lethal Ebola viruses. Make sure there's both. So we had to dress head to toe in protective gear. Once the hazmat suit was on, we added two sets of gloves, a mask, and a face shield to guard against flying guano and other toxins. Once we begin, I must assume everything is contaminated. Exactly. The impenetrable forest was soon pitch black, and we had only the light from our headlamps to guide us. Soon, they'd trapped a large Egyptian fruit bat. Wildlife vet Bernard Zebede gently disentangled it and put it in a fabric sack. We followed him back to the makeshift lab, glowing in the dark. The bat sacks quivered in the ghostly light. It felt like we were on the set of a sci-fi movie. Oh, he's a big guy. Up close, the bats did little to dispel their fearsome reputations. We watched as the fruit bat grew agitated, trying to escape. The scientist held its nose to a test tube filled with a mild anesthetic. Finally, the bat succumbed. Epidemiologist Christine Johnson told us the bat would be swabbed for a suite of viruses. Does this hurt the bat at all? No, it doesn't hurt the bat. We, we get the right size swab so that we're just doing an oral sample. It might be a little uncomfortable. The bat's wings were examined for parasites and ticks that might also have pathogens. All the samples would be sent to a lab for DNA sequencing. Johnson told us a virus's genetic code can help identify which might cross to humans. After the tests were done, the bats were released, groggy but unharmed. The next day, we joined Tierra Smiley Evans, a UC Davis epidemiologist and wildlife vet. We were looking for monkeys and baboons. Like bats, primates carry many viruses that have leapt to people. Smiley Evans told us catching an outbreak early at the point of spillover is vital to containing it. It sounds like there's no shortage of viruses that can infect humans that come out of the forest. There are probably more pathogens that we don't know about than ones that we do know about. We need to gather more information and more intelligence about what may be out there and able to spill over before it does. So they come right down to the hospital? Yeah, in the back. Uh, it butts up right against the forest. We met her at so the Bwindi nice Community Hospital on the edge of the forest. It's really something. It's so close, we saw baboons casually strolling on the hospital grounds, 
sometimes getting into patients' rooms. Whenever you're creating a new opportunity for humans to come in contact with wildlife populations that they were never in contact with before, you're creating a brand new situation. So as human populations grow, that's pushing us into areas we've never been before. Exactly. Putting us into contact with animals we've never been in contact with before. Exactly. To find out what viruses the baboons were carrying, Smiley Evans pioneered a simple but groundbreaking method to collect saliva samples, the stealth banana. Tied to a string, the banana is tossed to the curious baboons. But hidden inside is an oral swab, coated in something sweet that the baboons love to chew. Smiley Evans and Ugandan wildlife vet Ukamba Nelson had prepared the bananas earlier in the day. So we have tried strawberry jam, we've tried mango juice. Have you found they like one more than the other? The difference is that sometimes they'll chew on that swab for longer periods of time with a different attractant versus another, and that's what we really want. It's like bubble gum for primates. When the sweet is gone, the baboons throw the swab away, leaving behind plenty of saliva that can be decoded for viruses. But family politics can sometimes get in the way. Meet the big daddy of this troop. He wasn't about to let anyone else get even a mouthful. Mom hauled the babies out of the way until, finally, the coast was clear. By then, all that was left were soggy leftovers. Wildlife vet Bukamba Nelson told us it was worth the wait. It was rare to see babies venture this close. So you got saliva samples from yeah. the babies yeah. yesterday? Yeah. That's unusual? It's very unusual. So what do you get from the babies that you don't get from the adults? You never know. I might find a particular disease in this age bracket, which might not be found in the juvenile or the females, sex, age, all that plays a lot in disease intelligence. Disease intelligence that also includes training villagers to be on the lookout for any unusual fevers or flu-like symptoms. Scientists can then match human illnesses to the animal viruses they've found in the same area. Smiley Evans told us it was putting pieces of a puzzle together. All the samples are tested in the same way for the same pathogens. So the goal is that if we're sampling at the same time, in the same area, we can start to connect the dots and understand when there's been transmission of a particular virus. One of the most closely monitored species in the impenetrable forest are its star residents, the endangered mountain gorilla. Nearly half the world's remaining gorillas are here, 459 at last count. They're always on the move. So we set off to find them. One ridge led to another, each steeper than the last. The forest was so dense there was no sunlight and no gorillas. Wildlife vet Bernard Zebedee assured us we were on the right path. Are you seeing signs of the gorillas around here? Yeah, I've seen some already. Our porters breezed along unfazed. We, not so much. Then, hours after trekking, suddenly, there they were. We spotted a mother first, high in the trees, gorging on twigs. Soon, we were surrounded by all 19 members of an extended family, including a massive silverback and another mother cradling her infant. 
We had put on our masks, not to protect ourselves, but to protect the gorillas from any infection we might be carrying. Amy Bond is with Gorilla Doctors, an international conservation group. She told us how they identify each gorilla. Just like humans, where we each have our own unique fingerprint that helps us be identifiable as an individual, gorillas have unique nose prints. A nose print. A nose print. And that's what allows us to identify those individuals. And so we go through and we make sure we get each individual in the group that we can do a visual assessment looking for signs of illness or injury. Bond and wildlife vet Bernard Sebede told us that gorillas are susceptible to many of the same pathogens that we are, and they can be an early harbinger of disease. The gorillas are monitored daily for any warning signs. When they're sick, it's very similar, right? Yes. Runny nose, yeah, coughing, sneezing, they're not moving, mm-hmm. they don't want to eat. If a gorilla is lying down, Sebede told us, they'll assess if he's resting or if something else is preventing him from moving. We spotted one young male on his own, but Amy Bond told us he was likely suffering from a problem of a different sort. You can also sometimes tell which silverback is dominant by the number of females around him. So this poor guy sitting over here, (laughs) he's just out. He's always second choice. Aside from a case of wounded male pride, gorilla doctors Amy Bond told us this family appeared to be thriving. But their future isn't guaranteed, and if theirs isn't, neither is ours. Bond told us as spillover threats grow, it's impossible to separate human health from the health of the natural world. As UC Davis scientists continue their work, the search for pathogen X is a search for what threatens the animals of the impenetrable forest as much as it threatens us. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Tonight, we want to introduce you to a musician named Sona Jabarte, who introduced us to the beautiful sound and story of a centuries-old instrument called the kora. It's a string instrument from West Africa, part of a musical tradition that dates back to a 13th-century empire and has been passed down strictly from father to son, man to man, in a special set of families ever since. As we first reported last fall, Sona Jabarte was born into one of those families called Griots, the daughter of a Gambian father and a British mother. 
After hundreds of years of men, she is the first woman to master the Korah. In her performances around the world and in her work offstage, she says she's keeping tradition alive through the very act of breaking it. Take a listen, as we did, to Sona Jobarte as she plays the Kora. With its 21 strings, played by just four fingers, two on each hand, it has a sound both foreign and familiar. To me, it's like a harp. What do you compare it to? I don't actually compare it to anything because it's normal for me, right? I compare other things to the Cora. <laughs> <laughs> the song Sona played for us, called Yarabi, is a traditional love song. Sung in the Mandinka language. The tradition goes back to the 1200s, when a kingdom called the Mali Empire reigned over a large swath of West Africa, the territory of several modern-day countries. The musicians and storytellers in the empire were men called griots who counseled kings, resolved conflicts, and passed the legends down orally through the centuries. Women in griot families were singers, but it was only men who were allowed to play the instruments. That is, until Sona Jobarte. At 39, she has become one of the foremost kora players in the world. Performing with her band across Europe, West Africa, and here in the United States, as we saw in this packed theater outside Boston. This is music, when you hear it, it still to this day carries this feeling of the empire at its, at its greatest. You get that feeling of royalty, you get that feeling of, you know, something that you're so proud about. What I think about with you is that you have broken tradition. It's not the way I see myself, mainly because of the fact of um, believing that tradition has to evolve. Traditions are not stagnant. They are things that grow with humanity, with society, and they always have. At one time, this instrument was not around, and then it became invented and it became something modern, and yet now it's considered traditional. Wow. So in terms of me being female, mm. this is a very central and important adaptation the tradition must take in order to be able to be relevant to our new society. Sona Jobarte comes to the griot tradition as both insider and outsider. Her mother is a British artist. Her father, the son of a legendary Gambian kora player whose griot family pedigree traces back to the 13th century. Though her parents' relationship didn't last, Sona grew up in both worlds, the UK and her grandfather's family compound in the Gambia, where she says her grandmother urged her to embrace her griot heritage, which, as a girl, meant singing. 
She used to keep telling me, you know, you have to sing. And I never wanted to sing. I hated singing with a passion. Why? I, you have I, the perfect voice. I didn't like it, never liked it. And but so, your grandmother knew you had a great voice. I don't think she heard it much because I refused. And I was a very stubborn child when it came to that. I would sit there for... Mm. But Sona was drawn to the Kora. And as a little kid, no one seemed to mind her learning some of the basics. She thinks her grandmother may have even liked the idea. In the UK, though, she studied a different musical tradition, classical cello, and she excelled, winning a scholarship at age 14 to a prestigious music boarding school. Were you one of the very few biracial kids in the school? The only person of color in the first school. The only yes. person? I was incredibly shy as a student. I never talked. That's my own way of surviving those years, I would say. Were you sad? Was it a yes. tough time? Yes, it was a very tough time, yeah. Yeah, happiness was not a major part of it. But she did find one point of connection to her life in the Gambia. The library in the school had a Cora there hanging on the wall. So I would be always looking at this thing. And then one day I decided to, t- to take it off the wall. It was a total mess, as you can imagine. Um, so what I started doing was every time I get a little bit of time where the place is quiet, I would take it off the wall, fix a string, put it back, And I was doing it, hoping nobody was going to notice. I kept taking off the wall. (laughs) And there was one lady who uh, was one of the late late night workers. She said, why don't you take it to your room? And you can keep it there and just work on it. She's your hero. I had the permission. It became my sanity. And her calling. At 17, she decided she needed to study the Cora properly, which meant taking a personal risk, appealing to her father to pass the tradition down to her, his daughter, as his father had to him. They hadn't spent much time together, as Sanjali Jobarte had been living and performing mostly abroad. For years and years and years, Cora playing was mm-hmm. passed father to son, mm-hmm. father to son. Exactly. And along comes your daughter, yeah. Sona. Yeah. Did she say, Dad, will you teach me? Yes, she said, what I really want to learn is the Cora. But girls didn't play the Cora at that point. What I told her, I said, I would like, if I close my eyes, I don't have to know the difference. Is it a man or... If you can do that for me. You just immediately said okay? I just immediately said okay. You never hesitated? I never hesitated, no. I don't want you to get distracted with this whole idea of being female. Don't let that get into your head. Don't let it distract you. Your ambition needs to be a good Cora player, not a female Cora player, just a good Cora player. And so that was my challenge at the beginning. How hard did she work? She worked very, very hard. She started performing, sometimes with her father and then with her own band. She got acceptance first in Europe. Then, back in the Gambia, with a song and video she released in 2015 to celebrate 50 years of Gambian independence. It's become the country's unofficial national anthem, with more than 24 million views on YouTube. Minus the dancers, we found the Gambia much as Sona's video depicted it. A tiny country on Africa's west coast, It's a former British colony that's predominantly Muslim. Pre-colonial culture runs deep here. Sona Jobarti's name and heritage carry weight. 
And she's leaning into that ancient griot role of cultural leader to advocate for what she calls her purpose in life outside music, creating a new model of African education. She has founded a small school called the Gambia Academy, where students study dance, drumming, kora, of course, and another traditional griot instrument called the balaphone. The music gets the most attention because everyone sees it and likes and enjoys it. But they are learning all the same subjects as any other school is learning, you know, your maths, your science, your geography, your history, all these things. However, how is that imparted to you? So continuous cultivation means what? Sona believes most education in Africa has been so deeply rooted in colonial models that its message to children is that their own legacy is somehow backward. So they feel to do things properly, we're going to do it in this way. And this, this way is always very much a European way. My challenge is now, can you get the same output, successful output, if we actually create, change the cultural orientation at the heart and center of the education system. From your elbow to your finger should be straight line, huh? So the students here wear traditional African uniforms. Watch the hand, okay, seven, eight. And Gambian culture is celebrated. Rohi and Bori have been coming to the school since it opened seven years ago. Here, there are no restrictions by gender or pedigree. Rohi is learning to play the kora, and Bori is in the advanced balaphone class. I like it. It makes me feel very happy when I'm playing. Are you griot? No. Are you griot? No. And you're female. <laughs> Look at you both laughing, because you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Won't that be awfully difficult? You know, what a man can do, a woman also can do it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not from a Giria family, but I love to play Kora. And when you love something, you can do it. Are you getting pushback from within the society? Yes, of course, especially from older generations. Yes. But um, it doesn't matter. Sona's first album was a mix of traditional and new songs. Her latest, which we saw her rehearsing with her band, is all original music. She writes all the parts herself, including songs about education, women, and her own identity. And she sings them in Mandinka. For me, when I sing in my own language, when I sing in the language that belongs to the Gambia, there is, I'm giving you a sense of pride that you never have before, that your language is as valuable. When I can go to an international audience and I can have the whole audience in Germany, Spain, America, all over the world, and they're singing Mandinka, The power, she says, of music. It becomes a universal language. I can talk with anybody from anywhere in the world using music. I can't do that in any other form. And she's doing one more thing. Passing the tradition down to her 15-year-old son, Siddiqui, a talented balaphone player. 
and next link from the griot past to its future. You had said to her, when I close my eyes, I don't want to hear a female no. chora player. Yeah. I want to hear a great chora player. Okay, yeah. so close your eyes and tell us what you hear. I hear a great, great, great chora player. <laughs> I'm very, very proud, definitely. Thank you so much. In May, Sona Jabarti was awarded an honorary doctorate from the Berkeley School of Music, together with Usher and Roberta Flack. And her school, the Gambia Academy, is breaking ground this summer on a new and expanded campus. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Before Argentina won the World Cup last fall, before all manner of oles and ales broke out across Qatar's stadiums, the soundtrack for soccer's premier event went like this, Got Got Need. It wasn't scalpers hawking tickets, it was the refrain of fans sifting through packs of World Cup stickers. Think soccer's answer to baseball cards. Leading up to the 1970 World Cup, four brothers in Italy, the Paninis, began printing collectibles featuring images of players from every country in the competition. More than 50 years later, fans from all over the globe scour for that obscure Serbian goalkeeper or elusive Lionel Messi, hoping to complete their albums. As we first reported in November, the Panini sticker phenomenon has become a booming international business and a central part of the World Cup experience. For millions of soccer fans, the World Cup unofficially begins weeks in advance. When the Panini stickers for this quadrennial event shoot onto the market. In a classroom in the town of Sudbury, England. In the thrumming cities of Sao Paulo and Mexico City. Fans of all stripes embarked on a common treasure hunt. Anybody got that extra Ronaldo one? Collecting 670 stickers depicting the players and teams from this World Cup. I'm like shaking, I finally did it. All so they can complete their album. Listen, if you have 
gold or Panini sticker today, people would go for the sticker and not the gold. Panini sticker is more valuable than gold, you're saying? Today, yes. The sports. Francesco Fernari is the biggest official Panini distributor in the United States. An Italian Venezuelan American, he is the ultimate Panini sticker evangelist. 74. He's completed every sticker album since 1974, including the 2022 vintage many times over. I have already seven. You, you're, you're a man in your 50s. You have seven <laughs> albums completed. And uh, still counting. <laughs> a pack costs $1.20, and Fernari predicts sticker sales from 2022 will reach 100 million packets in the U.S. alone, nearly a billion worldwide. We're talking about a little piece of paper with some adhesive on it. What makes this so special? John, you gotta understand that you have all your legends, you have all your best players at a distance of, you know, your hand. You can touch them, you can talk to them. It's fantastic. How coveted are these things? When Argentina ran out of stickers in September, its Secretary of Commerce called an emergency meeting to solve this national crisis. We live in a digital world. How are these paper stickers still this popular. This sensation, John, to get a pack, to rip it out, to smell it, to open it, and to find the place right here, there is no way you can replicate it in an electronic way. So you even have a method for how you're ripping that packet Every open. Every single pack has to be done in the same way. By the way, I've opened at least You've done this before. Probably 2,000 packs up until now. Oh my God, Germany. This was a good one. Good that pack. was a good pull. I love it. We went to Modena, Italy, to Panini's headquarters, the equivalent of Willy Wonka's factory. As Panini's rolled off the press, 21 hours a day, 11 million packets a day, each containing five stickers. The headliners, Mbappe, Messi, Modric, and the coming stars. Players with four names, and there's Fred. The phenomenon started here, next to the cathedral, at a newspaper kiosk in the center of town. After World War II, Olga Panini, a widow, ran the newsstand with her four sons. Not unlike a soccer team, each had a special skill. The oldest son, Giuseppe, was the dreamer with the big plans. Salute. Salute. We met Giuseppe's son, Antonio, and Giuseppe's nieces, Laura and Lucia Panini, in Modena. He was uh, like a volcano. He had many, many ideas. A volcano. A volcano, yes. Giuseppe's initial idea was to sell cards depicting flowers. And was a disaster. <laughs> but they realized that the formula was okay, not the subject. Short of Lira, Giuseppe had, as it were, one last shot on goal. It was 1961, and he turned to a new subject, Italian soccer. It was a hit, especially with the kids. Even if production was rudimentary. All the stickers were printed and then were cut, and they were mixing with a shovel at the beginning. To make sure there were no duplicates, yes. they, mix, they mixed with a then shovel. They replaced the shovel with a churn, the one they use normally for making butter or The cheese. butter churn. Yes, yes. <laughs> and they had a handle, and they were moving this handle, and was working. 
queste figurine. Giuseppe's brother Umberto, the family engineer, invented machinery that mixed stickers to prevent dreaded duplicates in each pack. His contraptions were so successful, the designs are still in use today, 60 years later. And enabled the brothers to scale up their ambitions. Before the 1970 World Cup in Mexico, they paid $1,000, cash, to soccer's governing body to buy the rights to produce stickers of the players. Not least the great Pele. Suddenly, Panini became chiefly associated not with a sandwich, but with a worldwide pastime. The growth of the stickers mirroring the growth of soccer. Espana 82, Spain 82. Antonio Allegra, Panini's marketing director, told us how collecting the World Cup albums over the decades became a rite of passage, also a way to mark time. Wow, it's the first appearance for Diego Armando Maradona in a World Cup. This was Maradona's first World Cup. Yeah, 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 yeah. This one is Germany, 2006. Uh, and uh, here we have a very, very young uh, Messi. This, this teenager right here. Yeah, 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 he, he's 19. There are countries that have fallen off the map and hairstyles that have fallen out of fashion. He looks like the drummer. What size is that? That's that one, mate. Today, Panini sticker photo shoots, like this one in England, are the World Cup equivalent of school picture day. Lovely, lovely, thank you. Back in Italy, Marcello Minori is Panini's project manager overseeing image control. Sometimes these pictures are not perfect. Might be too dark, maybe there's a pimple on someone's face, and we're asked to remove it. A little Photoshop. Correct. I heard one story of, of a federation once getting in touch and saying, this, this guy's really ugly. Can you do something about that? Yes. Do, it's the truth. Should we name names? No, I'm still working with these people. <laughs> so, so what do you do when no. you get that call? We, first reply is, of course, no, no worry. I mean, we're going to change the picture. Second time, third time, fourth time. The fourth time I will say, listen, this is his face. It's his face. I'm sorry. I mean, we, we did all we, all we could. What do players think of sticker madness? We asked Gigi Buffon who literally saved Italy during its run to the World Cup trophy in 2006. Good ball in Zidane! And what a save by Buffon. One of the greatest ever goalkeepers. At age 44, he's not only still playing, but let's keep this between us. He's still collecting stickers, a hobby since childhood. When you still collect, where are you getting your stickers? Ogni tanto mi piace proprio... Now and again, I like the ritual of going to the kiosk to buy, say, 10 packets of stickers. It's a little embarrassing, but now I can say to the kiosk owner, the stickers are for my kids, and he believes me. Buffon let us in on another secret. Do players swap stickers in the locker room? Yes. I think if we were really to investigate all the players in the locker room, I think 60 to 70 percent filled the album. Buffon appeared in four World Cup albums, aging before our eyes. And his. We have visual aids. Oh. His favorite sticker was for the 2006 album, the last time Italy triumphed at the World Cup. You've had your picture taken thousands of times, but you understood this is for generations. Yes, for sure. For me, it was a solemn moment. 
perché era una sorta because there was a kind of respect that I had to show towards Gigi the child and to the dreams of Gigi the child. Del Gigi Bimbo. <laughs> An hour from Buffon's practice field in Parma, we met another child at heart, Johnny Bellini. You must have thousands of stickers. Considered the most prolific Panini collector in the world. The debut edition, Mexico 1970, is the holy grail of World Cup sticker albums. This guy has five of them, and he ain't selling. Oh, my God. Jeez. Floor to ceiling. He lives in what is less a home than a sticker repository. Even in your daughter's room. You might have baseball cards in your attic. He has half a million stickers spilling out of every drawer. It's solo per pochi. Bellini even has whole sheets of them hidden under a tablecloth. No one is allowed to eat on the table because it's too sacred. It's very rare. These are all rare. Lucky for Johnny, his long-suffering wife, Giovanna, has a sense of humor. Heaven forbid there were a fire tonight. You had to go back into your house. What would you rescue first? Obviously the stickers. If there's a fire, my wife would run away with her own legs. Your wife can fend for herself so the stickers can't. Saturday nights are all right for sticking at the Bellini household. While Giovanna watches a movie, Johnny fills his album and never forgets a face. You remember 50 years later what the, what the last player was you needed to complete the album. I also remember the first sticker that I got in a pack, which was Sergio Carantini, a defender from Vicenza. It's like your first girlfriend. <laughs> Her, I don't remember. He's not alone in his soccer nostalgia. Those kids who grew up in the 70s collecting stickers are now grandparents and parents, passing down the tradition, like Francesco Fernari in Florida. Think about this. There is no way you can find a product that you can have different generations doing at the same time. It's fantastic. Here's what else makes it exceptional. Mexico, Bologna. Almost everyone that completes their album does so not through purchase power. Did you want to trade for this one? Oh, yeah. Would, are you trading that USA one? But through old-fashioned face-to-face trading. Around the world, there are Panini sticker swapping sessions that are organized, others that are impromptu. At World Cups, past, present, and future, Mbappe's got another one! One country lifts the trophy, but millions feel their personal version of World Cup glory. You've seen people complete their albums. What is that feeling like when you get that very last sticker? Let me put it this way. Whenever you play soccer and you score a goal in the final of the tournament, that's kind of the feeling you have whenever you complete an album. It's an old-timey analog hobby, no screen required. It relies on the humanity of touch. I'll take Fred. He's got Pele. Okay, thanks. And the value is largely sentimental. But in these tribal, polarized times, Leave it to stickers to take people and countries and bind them together. Yes, the Argentine team. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Leslie Stahl. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes. If you like 60 Minutes, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. <laughs> Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.